0: Hello and welcome to Revolution 22's teaching podcast. We are a church from the downtown area in Boise, Idaho. Thank you for joining us today and hearing this week's sermon. We pray that God's word will be received and will bear fruit in your life. Well, I want to start this morning with a question. What do you think of Jesus? Jesus. And I mean that literally. What do you think of Jesus? Maybe you would answer that question as Peter does in Matthew 16 and say, oh, he is the Christ, the son of the living God. And you'd be precisely correct. That theological answer is absolutely true. But I want to suggest to you this morning that there may be a simpler answer to the question, who is Jesus? One that underlies that theological answer. In John chapter 14, verse 6, Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. I am not only the way to the life you seek, I am the truth underneath that life and I am the essence of genuine life itself. I am eternal life. The Apostle John affirms this in chapter 1, verse 4, where he says, In Him, that is, the pre-incarnate eternal Son of God, was and is life itself. Which is why John says in 1 John chapter 5, God has given us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. Whoever has the Son Has life. Whoever does not have the Son of God does not have life. All of which to say, I believe there is a simpler and more profound answer to the question, Who is Jesus? And it is simply this He is life. He is the essence of life, and therefore the ultimate source of satisfaction and joy which we might define as fullness of life. But I wonder this morning if that's how you see Jesus, as life itself, and therefore your source of ultimate satisfaction and joy. The Apostle Paul certainly did. Which is why throughout his letter to the Philippians, which he writes to them from a prison cell in Rome where he has been incarcerated for preaching the gospel, he uses the words joy and rejoice 16 times to describe the fullness of his soul, even in that circumstance and to call the Philippian Christians who were experiencing tremendous persecution and had been for over a decade, he invites them into this fullness of life in Christ with him. Look at what he says in uh, Philippians chapter 1, verse 18. He says, I will rejoice. For I know that through your prayers and the help of the spirit of Jesus Christ, this, that is, my incarceration for the gospel, will ultimately turn out for my deliverance. Whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ. In other words, he says, to continue on in this world is to know Christ, who is life. And to die is to gain for me because then I'll be be in the very presence of Christ who is life. Either way, I rejoice because I know Christ and Christ is life. Now, we've been talking a bit about joy over the past several weeks. And that word joy can have a range of meanings. On the one hand, we might speak of little j, joy that is really synonymous with happiness, that depends on what is happening. For example, I love to ski. Is anybody else waiting for, for Snowmageddon? Who wants it? Oh, bring it on. I love to ski. I get a tremendous... Yeah, you can put your hand down now. I saw that. We're with you. I love to ski. I get a tremendous amount of little jay joy out of skiing. There are times... But I'm skiing, going down the hill all by myself, nobody around me, laughing out loud. (laughs) Debbie thinks this is hilarious. You might think, I need help. I don't care. I love to ski. I get a whole lot of little J joy from skiing. But here's the deal. If, God forbid, the snow does not come this year, I know, it, it would be rough. If I didn't get to ski this year, I would be deeply disappointed. I might need a few weeks of therapy to move through it, but in the end, I would be okay. Because my capital J, joy, isn't found in skiing, but in Christ who is life. In Paul's letter to the Philippians, he's talking about capital J, joy ultimate joy, unquenchable joy, biblical joy that doesn't depend on our circumstances. It doesn't depend on what's happening to you or around you because biblical joy is a settled attitude of the heart that says it is well with my soul. All and only because I know Christ and Christ is life. Life. How many of you long to experience this kind of joy moment by moment in your life? I know that I do. And yet, how many of us allow our circumstances to rob us of this joy, even though we know so little of the suffering that the Philippians and the Apostle Paul were enduring? And yet, throughout this letter... The Apostle Paul writing from prison to these Philippian Christians who are suffering immensely for the gospel, and I'll explain why, they were suffering for Christ, but he invites them to experience capital J joy in Christ by remembering and reminding one another that Christ is life and the rest is details. Which doesn't mean that the details of your life don't matter it certainly doesn't mean that your suffering doesn't matter it does mean that if you belong to Christ if his spirit lives in you then nothing nothing happening to you or around you can rob you of the hope peace and capital J joy that only he can give and that he offers you but here's the deal we struggle to believe this In fact, I would say we won't believe this until we see Jesus as he is, which is why this morning as I begin this broad overview of Paul's letter to the Philippians that I hope will just give you a few handles to grab as you read this book, as well as lay some groundwork for future sermons. As we begin this overview in the book of Philippians, I want to begin by gazing into the beauty and majesty of Christ. By watching the Philippians encounter Christ for the first time. Along the way, we'll consider what it looks like for us to follow Him who is the source of life into the capital J joy He invites us into regardless of our circumstances. In Acts chapter 16, Paul is in Philippi, and we pick up the action here in verse 14. Paul is preaching, and as he's preaching the gospel there, having followed God's, uh, really God gave him a vision to go and preach to the Philippians, he goes, he's preaching the gospel in Philippi. This is taking place about 11 years prior to him writing the letter to the Philippians. And Luke, who writes the book of Acts, who was there with Paul, says, one who heard us, that is, one who heard the apostle Paul preaching the gospel was a woman named Lydia, And she was a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God, which likely means she was a Jew because we read right above this that she had gathered with a group of women on the Sabbath to pray. Well, check this out. As Paul preaches the gospel to her, the Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul. And she, after she was baptized, as well as her household, who apparently also trusted Christ, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. Now, if Lydia was, in fact, a Jew, then she would have been waiting for the Messiah, the Christ, to come. And we can imagine how the Apostle Paul, who was himself a Jew, Would have joyfully proclaimed Christ to Lydia. Perhaps using the hymn about Christ he recites in Philippians chapter 2, what many see as the most glorious depiction of Christ in Scripture. I'm going to read this to you this morning. It's right at the heart of the book of Philippians. And as I read these words from the Apostle Paul this morning from Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 11, I'm going to invite you to compare your view of Christ to Paul's view of Christ. And I want to encourage you to invite the Holy Spirit to lift your view of Christ until it matches who he truly is. God, help us to see clearly in Jesus' name. Paul writes in verse 5, Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, Who, though he, the pre incarnate Christ, was in the form of God, which is to say he was God, since you can't be in the form of the one and only God and not be God by nature, but though he was and is the eternal God by nature, Paul says, he did not count his equality with God a thing to be grasped or clung to at all costs. But instead, verse 7, he emptied himself, not of his deity. Since it's impossible for God to cease being God, no, the Son of God emptied himself of his right to be seen and treated as God. He laid his glory aside by taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of men. The eternal Son of God became one of us while remaining God by nature, Paul says. Verse 8, and being found in human form, which was itself an immeasurable condescension or lowering of himself, he humbled himself even further, Paul says, by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross, which was the most shameful death imaginable. Why did he do it? So that, Paul affirms in chapter 3, having lived the perfect life that you and I do not live, Jesus, the God-man, Savior-King, might die for sins that we, not He, committed, that we might gain the righteousness that He, not we, possessed. And thereby transfer us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light and life Having made us, he says in Philippians 3, citizens of heaven who will one day stand perfected with the resurrected, ascended Christ in glory all and only because of who he is and what he did to purchase a people for the Father that we who are his might fill the earth with his glory. Which is why Paul says in verse 9, Therefore, God has highly exalted him, the crucified, resurrected, ascended, God-man, Savior, King, and has bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus, a name that means Yahweh saves, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth. And every tongue confess, say it with me, that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I don't know about you, but those words make my soul quake with awe. And my knees buckle in worship. Before the God man, Savior, King, who is high and lifted up above all things, seated at the right hand of God the Father as the source, essence, and meaning of life itself. Which means, contrary to the ridiculous t shirts and bumper stickers out there, Jesus will never be your homeboy, He will never be your co pilot. He will never be someone you can merely add to your otherwise self-sufficient life. No. The more we see Jesus as he is, high and exalted, lifted up to the right hand of God the Father, the essence, meaning, and source of life itself, the more we will fall on our faces before him and order our lives to serve him the one who made us for himself and who alone can lift us from our rebellion against him and restore to us the identity, purpose, and joy. We were created to live, long to know, forfeited in the fall, and can only recover by grace through faith in Christ who is life. I like to imagine the Apostle Paul proclaiming Christ to Lydia using the words of Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 to 11, and God opening her eyes to see Christ as he is, which would explain why she was so compelled to know and follow Christ at such high risk to herself and her family. And they would soon suffer greatly as Lydia's home became gospel central in Philippi. And Paul began what he calls a gospel friendship, gospel partnership with Lydia and the Philippian Christians who came to Christ then. And we read that they would support Paul and continue to advance the gospel through Paul for years to come at immense peril to themselves. Which is why Paul opens this letter to the Philippians in chapter 1, verses 3 to 5, saying, I thank My God, did I go back one instead of forward? There it is. He says, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you, always and in every prayer of mine for you, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Again, he says in chapter 4, when I left Macedonia, no church entered into partner with me in giving and receiving except you only. You Philippians, even in Thessalonica, you sent me help for my needs once and again. Paul would tell the, the Corinthians in the in Corinthians and Second Corinthians that the Philippians would continually support him financially over the years, giving generously out of tremendous poverty because of the great persecution they were under in Philippi, and yet Paul says they did it with great joy. And so Paul celebrates these gospel friends, these gospel partners. And we know Paul would visit the Philippians at least two more times before he would write this letter, which it turns out is in part a thank you letter for yet another financial gift. That a Philippian named Epaphroditus had just taken from the Christians in Philippi. They let him take it. It's not like, he, I don't mean he took it. I mean, he took it, you know what I mean. He took it from Philippi to Paul. I don't understand how it works, but apparently, if you have money, prison can be a little better. And so the Philippian Christians sent a financial gift to Paul through Epaphroditus. Paul was in Rome. And then Epaphroditus brought Paul's letter, this letter, back. To the Philippians. But here's where the plot thickens. Because it appears that Epaphroditus told Paul that even though most of the Philippians were walking joyfully in Christ, the 11 years of intense persecution that had taken away every comfort for the Philippian Christians was taking its toll on the church. So much so that some in the church were tempted to take their eyes off of Christ as he is to adopt a lesser view of Christ by following a group of false teachers known as the Judaizers who would literally follow Paul around. And as people came to Christ, they would try to suck them back into Judaism. They would try to combine the gospel of Christ with obedience to the Old Testament law. Now, this would have been, uh, I guess, attractive in some sense to, to Christians in Philippi who wanted to, to stop being persecuted so heavily because Judaism was a, a sanctioned religion in Rome. Christianity was not, which meant that if they were to follow the teaching of the Judaizers, they would be seen as Jews and they would no longer be persecuted. Do you see the temptation? Understanding that, that the non-Christian People in Philippi, the Philippians in general, despised Christians because they prided themselves at being Philippians. And Philippi, they all knew and proclaimed, was the first Roman colony in Asia Minor. And so they were a special people with special Roman rights that many other cities, that all the cities around them didn't have. But this also meant that they were tremendously loyal to Caesar, and Caesar demanded to be called Lord, God, and Savior. You see the problem? Christians couldn't do this because as we just read in Philippians chapter 2, Christ is Lord, God, and Savior. And He is exalted above every name, including Emperor Nero. Which is why as Paul addresses the Judaizers' heresy in Philippians chapter 3, he calls the Philippians to remember and remind one another who Christ is. The one and only God-man, Savior, King of kings, and Lord of lords. The only one who can make us right with God. Heirs of eternal life and citizens of heaven. Not merely citizens of Philippi or the United States, or any other earthly kingdom. No wonder Paul, who had once been a Pharisee, a Jewish Pharisee who prided himself at keeping the law like the Judaizers were doing, rejects the Judaizers' heresy by saying this in Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 and following. Whatever gain I had as a Jew trying to keep the law, I count it as lost for the sake of Christ. Indeed, he says, I count everything as lost because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish. It's the Greek word for poop. In order that I may gain Christ and may be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness from God that depends on faith, so that, here it comes, here was Paul's great desire that I may know him and the power of his resurrection, that I may share in his sufferings, Becoming like him in death through my sufferings, that by any means possible I may attain the resurrection from the dead, which is to say that I might increasingly and one day be just like Christ who is life. Now, if you dare, I want you to notice something here because this will mess with your view of joy and circumstances. Notice if you dare how Paul views his sufferings not as something to run from but as a means to grow closer to Christ who is life which is why he says to the Philippian Christians in chapter 1 wow, I love how we have really tiny letters and then gigantic letters these are the ones I can actually read so I appreciate that Kelsey that's really good this is why Paul says to the Philippian Christians For it has been granted to you that for your sake... You notice that? It has been granted to you. God has given you a gift that for the sake of Christ, you should not only believe in him, but also, say it with me, suffer for his sake. What? Paul says, or I should say Paul sees his suffering and their suffering for Christ as a gift From God. How can that be? Because their sufferings would strip from them all that might tempt them to think that true life and unquenchable joy can be found outside of Christ. Just let that soak in. Have you ever wondered how Paul could do the things that he did? How he could be this guy who, you know, he could, he could suffer so greatly. He was beaten. He was left for dead. He was thrown into prison. And yet he just kind of took a licking and kept on ticking, kind of thinking, like, what's with this guy? Is he some kind of a spiritual freak? Does he have something that, that I don't have? How could you do it, Paul? How could you? What was this? Were you just kind of a special Christian? You know what Paul would say to that? No. And then he would quote Philippians 4.13. I'm not going to put it on here because I hope you know it. What does it say? He would say, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Because Paul knew that Christ is life. And the rest is details. And so he saw everything his, in his life as an opportunity to know Christ more. He viewed every circumstance as an opportunity to know Christ more, which was the secret of his joy. The secret of the fact that he, he rested in this, this wellness of soul and kept moving forward in Christ. Christ is life. And the rest is details. But that doesn't mean the details of our lives don't matter. And it certainly doesn't mean that your suffering doesn't matter. But it does mean that if you know Christ this morning, and I hope you do, then no circumstance can rob you of the capital J joy. The little J, yep. Happiness may go away. But that capital J joy, that deep wellness of soul cannot be taken from you because you belong to Christ. And that will especially be true as we increasingly understand, as the apostle Paul did, that God, in his sovereign goodness, who promises to one day deliver us from suffering altogether, graciously uses our suffering day to day in this fallen world that is not as it was meant to be to complete the work That he began in us. Especially, Paul says, as we work out our salvation. It does not say work for. It says work out the salvation that God has given you by grace through faith in Christ. Let it unfold. Work out. Unfold your salvation with reverence and awe knowing that God is the one who was working in you, both the willing and the doing for his good pleasure. And what is God's good pleasure towards you? That you would increasingly cling to Christ. Teaching you, teaching me to increasingly cling to Christ, who is life. Even, and I would say, especially in the midst of difficult circumstances. Because we believe that our wellness of being isn't found in the circumstances we desire. But in Christ alone. And in abiding in Him. Isn't this why the Apostle Paul says to the Philippians in chapter 4, remember, the Philippians had all kinds of reasons to be really anxious, to be really stressed. They had lost all of their livelihood. They were suffering immensely for the sake of the gospel. And yet, what does Paul say to them? Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say it in case you missed it. Rejoice. Find your joy in the Lord. Do not be anxious about anything, verse 6, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Thanksgiving for what? Not for your suffering, but for the fact that you know Christ. And Christ is life. And because you know that God, who has proven his kind intentions towards you in Christ, will use even this suffering to bring you into the fullness of life in Christ by teaching you to cling ever more closely to him. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God, and then God will give you whatever you ask for and make all of your circumstances happy. Is that what it says? No. He promised you something better. The peace of God, which is a a key component of, of capital J, joy. The peace of God that doesn't make sense in light of your circumstances, nevertheless will be yours it surpasses understanding but god's peace and joy will guard your hearts and your minds in christ jesus and keep you from slipping into despair as we begin to wrap this up i want to ask you what circumstances tend to rob you or perhaps are robbing you even this morning of the capital P peace and capital J joy that God invites you to experience in Him even now. All because you believe the lie that your wellness of soul comes from certain desirable circumstances being fulfilled instead of Christ alone. Sometimes simply acknowledging this fact is enough to recalibrate our hearts and return to joy in Christ. Debbie and I often help each other with this, and we have permission. We've given each other permission to do this, okay? So it's a way we kind of call each other out. When we see the other one slipping into, I got to be happy, I'm not going to be happy unless I have this, so I can't have joy kind of a thing. So I might say, I've got to have that pair of skis. I actually have said that uh, multiple times. No, that one. No, I mean that one. All right? And, and, or, or she might say, you know, I really wish we had more of this or less of that, or there was a different relational dynamic here or there. And then the other one, when we see the other one do it, we'll say, yeah, then life would be good. Then we'd be fulfilled. Then we would finally be okay. And we smile and say, no, that's that's not right. And it helps us so much to recalibrate, to look up, to see Jesus as our ultimate source of joy, to allow him to be that source of joy. And that causes us to recalibrate our view of our circumstances, our wants, and our desires. But sometimes it's more complicated than that. And as I close this morning, I want to do so by acknowledging that while it's unlikely you and I will experience the kind of persecution that the Philippians and the Apostle Paul experienced, many of us are familiar with deep suffering. We do not understand, but cannot avoid. I know that some of you right now in this place are suffering greatly. Maybe you're in the midst of a divorce you did not want and never imagined could happen. Maybe you're facing an illness that's threatening your life or the life of somebody you love. Maybe you're, you're wrestling with mental illness, your own or someone else's, and it continues to, to crush someone you love and crush yourself. Some of you are going through very difficult, painful circumstances today. Some of you have been through abuse. Maybe you're being abused. And it continually warps your view of who you are. And you struggle even to see yourself as Christ does. So even just walking through the day in Christ is a struggle. I want you to know I understand that. And I grieve with you. I see you. And I don't want to be glib about the nature of your suffering. I'm certain that the Philippians cried out as you and I do. I know I have at some point in the midst of their suffering. God, are you even there? You see this? And if you're there, how can you claim to care for me? Are your promises real? You say you're good and in control. Yeah, we'll clean this mess up. How can you possibly be seeking my best? Anybody? Or is it just me? Sometimes in the deepest darkness, it's hard to see anything but the dark. And that's where we need to help each other. A key theme that goes throughout Paul's letter to the Philippians is his call for the Philippians to stand together in. Christ with one heart and with one mind, that they might gently, continually point one another to Christ, lift one another's eyes off their circumstances to Christ who is life. When a brother or sister is suffering in the dark, they're in that acute, crushed state, we need to come alongside them first by just being with them embodying the life of Christ to them without saying a word. They don't need your words. No words will matter. But your presence will. Grieving with them will. Being with them will. And then, as God leads if and when it is appropriate, we can begin to gently affirm to one another that even though we may never know why God allows this suffering here but not that suffering, why this baby died and this one lived, why this marriage thrived and this one blew up. We may never know Why God allows this evil and not that. But based upon what we saw in Philippians chapter 2, we do know that the question of God's goodness and kind intentions toward us is off the table. Because he's already demonstrated to us through Jesus Christ, the God-man Savior King, who entered suffering at its highest point on the cross to conquer it forever, loves us deeply, cares for us fully, And sees us. Jesus went to the cross. Entering sin, pain, darkness, ugliness. At its highest point to conquer it forever. That he might bring us hope that will not fade. Peace that can never be stolen. And joy that cannot be quenched. As we cling to the good shepherd who walks through the valley with us and guarantees he will take us up the other side. So that even when our hearts are broken, we can say with the psalmist, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. I will not fear being utterly overcome by evil for one reason. What is it? You are with me. And you are. Our life. But if you're struggling to believe that today, that's okay. That's where we come in. Reach out to somebody. Let us sit with you. Let us pray with you. Let us gently remind you of the good shepherd who's proven his good intentions towards you, promises to never forsake you, and says that one day suffering will be no more, that same good shepherd even today wants to restore your broken heart as you find your life in him because you are his and he is life. I pray that you know Jesus, my king, today if you've never come to that place where you've, you've responded to him and say, Jesus, I, I trust you. I, I know that you are the God-man, Savior, King. I know that you live the perfect life. I don't live. You died on a cross to cancel my sins, to bring me into a right relationship with God. You just tell him that. Cry out to him, Jesus, I need you. I long for you. I want you to be my Savior. I want you to be my Lord. I want to follow you into the joy. The very life. That flows from your being. Would you pray with me? Thank you for listening to our podcast. To find out more about our church, please visit revolution22.org. We encourage you to not neglect meeting together as believers. And may you continue to love God and love others.